Hi, and welcome back to The Secret Life of Parkinson's. I'm Jessica Krauser. I'm with... Brian Baker. And we have um, two special guests with us. Double on, dose. Yes, on the phone or on Zoom with us. We have uh, Gene and his daughter, Lindsay Law. Hello, you guys. Hi. Just Hi. Give us a little wave there, Gene. Um, so Gene and I and Brian, we all met at PD Next Step, so at the gym that we belong to. And what? That's correct. Yeah. Um, and Gene has had Parkinson's for how long? Uh, since June of, uh, diagnosed June of 2019. Oh, I didn't know that. So we're right, I was July of 2019. So we're yeah. like, we're like back-to-back -back buddies. Yeah. What? Nice. Nothing. Keeps looking at me weird. Um <laughs> Okay, so Jean, you are 75 years old, and you were diagnosed then four years ago. And um, what we want to talk about and what we're going to cover off and why Lindsay's here is we want to get, um, you know, you have a great support system. Your wife, your you have two daughters, Lindsay's the oldest, right? And um, you have a lot of friends as well that surround you. But... Um, we want to talk about your recent, most recent surgery that you had that um, was for your back and what that hospital stay was like um, because it was not your typical surgery. And you've, you've had a lot of surgeries, right, in the past, before Parkinson's and after? Yes, yeah, poor judgment, but yes. <laughs> and I know a lot of them are probably like they were in like sports induced or, or whatnot, correct? Yeah, falling off a roof wasn't sports, no. but that yeah. So Lindsay, I'm sure you guys had to have like had a lot of mini heart attacks with all the things that you had to go through with with yes. his uh, with his accidents. Um, how many, Lindsay? Do you know how many uh, surgeries he's had, or how many you've been visiting with him on? Um, I mean, I remember them from a kid. The roof was kind of like the pinnacle of like, dear God, and then we just kept going so after his diagnosis there were a few that went rapidly right in a row um and they were all what just like knee hip like we had uh, i had it i had a uh, it started out with dr hinkle um called about uh, metal on metal hip i had which was creating toxic metals which had the same symptoms cognition and balance muscle strength that Parkinson's had. Mm. Uh, and um, so uh, he noted that I had this metal hip, as did my orthopedic surgeon at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it started out uh, on doing labs, which led to uh, appendicitis, which led to an appendectomy, which led to colon or uh, appendix cancer, which oh, is- Oh, that's right. Extremely, extremely rare. Um, and eventually, uh, chemo, and then finally got the hip back in order. And then since then, uh, the back uh, surgery that I just had recently is the uh, most current <laughs> surgical event, but we're aiming for no more. The last. Lindsay, how would you explain like from from your standpoint you know helping your mom and your sister through those surgeries were they pretty normal what, like even though he had parkinson's because i do remember yeah. the doctor saying after his 
the the one surgery they were like i can't believe you have parkinson's like so how would you explain say, those ones um we were very lucky that he found the gym mm-hmm. before that was in such good shape so being so healthy like physically i think helped him bounce back a lot quicker than he would have otherwise mm-hmm. uh, and they were shorter hospital stays like we were talking about that they were only two days i mean not much longer okay so we didn't really encounter a lot of the issues that we encountered this time um because the hospital stay was much longer so like we had less control over his access to med you know the, the mm-hmm. whole schedule of medication so i don't remember those being yeah <laughs> dramatic bad, but I blocked them out as well so who knows <laughs> so let's talk about this most recent hospital gig so yeah. he was going in for back what gig i don't know um say. his hospital stay but he was going in for back surgery correct um i had back injuries over the years and had been dealing with pain until it reached a point i had a a minor not a minor but i had a smaller back surgery in 2000 and that might have been 18. 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was found a surgeon who said he could deal with my posture which was getting worse and worse and then that was both parkinson's and, and just the degeneration of the spine mm-hmm. so they fused my back from t9 which is up around the top of your spine and your neck to the uh, top of my pelvis uh, down below i haven't really seen it much but i guess it's about a 16 or so inch um, scar down my back and um, uh, you know I I have to say I told Dr. Khan when we were going over this he's about uh, getting back in the gym and he said we'll get you back in the gym and I said you need to understand if I can't go back to the gym I'm not having the surgery done (laughs) and he said okay and he did did an excellent job the back, I don't think, has posed Mm-mm. problems with mm-hmm. the recovery or... Um, it wasn't the back symmetry. Yeah, no. It was that darn Parkinson's. So, um, exercise and got back and the, the surgeon himself, when we first saw him after about three or four weeks, made the comment that you're a lot farther ahead than I would have put you. And then about another three weeks, we had a um, another PA that came in and they had worked hard to get us into physical therapy mm-hmm. as quickly as we could after the surgery and uh, so we had this other PA and he looked at everything and said we can start PA, PT now and I said I've been doing PT for like a month and a half mm-hmm. I mean, and, the, and the goal you was haven't to been get, out that long uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway the, the goal was to get back to exercise because of what it does for Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as of Monday of this week, we went to see the doctor's PA and they removed all the restrictions and turned them over to my physical therapist and to Melissa. Mm-hmm. So that's your perspective on the surgery and how everything went. Now I want to hear <laughs> Lindsay's perspective of... Yeah. What are some of the challenges? I remember it. I have a lot of blanks in there. <laughs> Let's fill in the blanks there, Lindsay. Um, well, we met with an unexpected, you know, this 
we knew this was going to be a big recovery. It's a huge surgery, mm-hmm. as he just explained. Um, and I mean, I don't even know where to begin because it was very overwhelming and very um, like you think you prepare for everything, but you're not, you mm-hmm. know, you're never 100% prepared. Um, things that we talked about, you know, just if I could go back mm-hmm. and start again, I think as a family, I would have like, you know, he's got helicopter kids and my mom who like just swarm him all the time. So we make sure he's always making the right choice or trying to make the right choice. And it doesn't always happen, but um, <laughs> I would lo- I would probably go as a family and see the neurologist together mm-hmm. and just be like, as you know, we're going through a, a major surgery. What are some things we could expect with Parkinson's, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think the swallowing thing was not on our radar at all. What was, um, what do you mean? Thinking about like he has some um, difficulty swallowing, like nothing red, nothing huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I think played a part in him. Um, he ended up aspirating and ended up in the ICU. So, you know, going back like pre-surgery and I don't know where to start because there were so many. Happened. Yeah. I don't know if you want me to talk about like what happened and then how we would have gone back. And- I like. I mean, I think it's it's good to know. Like, I think first, you know, like you would have gone back and and talked about like the swallowing piece, and and you know, uh, what other things like that did you guys come across? Like, yeah, like what could what should we be like kind of paying attention to? Mm-hmm. Because I think there were yellow or orange flags, and we didn't realize they could become red flags. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know to look for them. Like, I just kind of you know, this is part of recovery or this is just kind of like a little abnormal, but mm-hmm. I didn't realize it lead into more serious things. So for example, um, he was eating and drinking, but like he had a distended stomach. And so when my mom and I saw that, we were like, this isn't normal. Like his stomach doesn't look like this normally. Mm-hmm. And so we were speaking out, you know, to the nurses and saying like, hey, um, you know, he has Parkinson's. So because he has Parkinson's, he also has constipation. So mm-hmm. you need to be like thinking about force feeding food or like what we're giving him. And that was like a yellow orange flag that we didn't really know was a yellow orange flag. Like we said something, but mm-hmm. it was kind of like, hey, he needs to eat. Yeah. You know, that's get better is by eating and drinking and he needs to eat. So we kind of were like, okay. And then it got to a point where like you could tell he was extremely uncomfortable. He would yell at us and tell us, do you want me to throw up? I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I didn't understand that that could be that like swallowing issue. It could be the constipation issue. Hmm. And so what ended up happening is he aspirated Mm -hmm. and um, it was very scary. I wasn't there for that. My sister was there and, you know, he's immediately there's like a ton of people in the room and he's gone and he's in the ICU. So that was very unexpected. But mm-hmm. again, there were little pieces that I think if we had, I mean, not to blame anybody, but like if there were just paid more attention to or thought that could happen, mm-hmm. hey, if you're free, you could aspirate, especially mm-hmm. if you've had difficulty swallowing. Okay, thank you for letting, you know, like you yeah. could have said that to the nurse, said that to a doctor. Um, I think I would have also, I mean, we're really good advocates, like my sister, God love her. She's Chicago, even though she was born and raised here, she spent a hefty amount of her time in Chicago. So she's got this spicy, like, you're going to listen to me and I'm going to tell you how it goes. Type <laughs> of so we did speak up a lot. I mean, I think advocating was a huge part of it too. Mm-hmm. 
I think I would have been a little bit louder. Like, can I speak to a doctor? I need to speak to the doctor on this floor. This, we know our dad, this is not normal. This is not what his stomach looks like. This is not, he never complains about throwing up or things like that. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, being able to um, recognize that a little bit quicker would have been good. Um, I think when we were at, you know, the, if I could go back and, and meet with the neurologist pre-surgery, ask, does he need to be on levodopa the whole time? Mm-hmm. So um, how how significant is levodopa to um, his recovery? Mm-hmm. Like if we're in a situation where it's an emergency, um, you know, like if it's normal and everything's normal recovery, he's in the hospital eating, drinking levodopa. But if he's not eating and drinking, mm-hmm. are we still forcing the levodopa? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was still being given to him. And okay. then when we were in ICU, they were giving it like um, intravenously. I don't even, it's not intravenous because it wasn't in his arm, but it was in through like a feeding tube. Okay. So he was not given solid food. Um, that was all feeding tube. And at the same time, they were getting what was in him out, but then putting in things through tubes. So of course, you know, Google's your best friend when you're freaking out and my sister and I are like on the computer, like what happens if you're taking levodopa and you don't have food in your system? Like, does that alter your um, ability to process and, you know, mm-hmm. information? Yeah. We got to a point where there were a lot of things happening and we weren't sure what the root cause was it mm-hmm. of it was. Like we were hallucinating. Um, and he knew he was hallucinating. That was mm-hmm. another like yellow red flag like before he went into icu he was saying that there was something out the window and my mom and i were just like deliriously tired kind of laughing it off like dad there's nothing out there like i don't know what you're talking about like what do you see that we don't see and kind of just like brushed it off but that was like another one of those flags that i was like we should have recognized where this was going but was that because they gave him a medication that he shouldn't have received because he has parkinson's or well, we made that very clear as well. So before surgery, um, again, like anyone you talk to, any nurse, any doctor, any person that we like came into his room to talk or help him, we were like, he has Parkinson's, he has Parkinson's, here is the sheet of paper. So I hope that most neurologists, like our wonderful Dr. Hinkle, he sent us with a piece of paper that said the do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. We also took, um the Parkinson's Foundation card with Mm -hmm. us as well. So we had it at the ready anytime we needed to have a conversation about it. So I think that helped-ish. But I think for us, knowing him and knowing Parkinson's as well as we have learned over these past four years, there were just some things that we could, I think we, I want other people to know. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to know that this could happen or this is what you asked for. Um, Especially, you know, I don't know, I God hope nobody has to go through what we went through, but like if you're being not fed solid food, like is levodopa appropriate? Is that, you know, type of thing. So um, the one thing that, were they giving it to him like on a regular schedule? Because I know like when I was in the hospital several times, they, it was whenever the nurse could get to you yep. versus every four hours or whatever. Yeah, and, and they, that was another thing we argued highly about Brian with them is like, you don't understand that you're giving this at like, 6 a.m. and then you're turning around and giving it to him at 10 right, a.m. because the, and then you're doing it again because this says every three every three four or four times a day or three times a day it yeah. didn't say you know at six you know four ten and two or whatever yes exactly 
Exactly. And then he wouldn't have it for what, 12, 14 hours. And I'm like, this isn't the schedule, you know, like this isn't. Yeah. And so I will say, I'm sure the doctor on the floor at the MICU did not care for my sister and I, but I really didn't care because it's my dad and it's my Mm -hmm. family. So just kept saying it every time we saw her, you know, what's I, I can see. And I will say this too, for caretakers, make sure you have access to their my chart so we got on his phone and like hacked in and you know luckily like his ipad or whatever it is like make sure you have their password information Mm -hmm. their login information so that when if he's unable to you know access it himself or he or she that you are able to do that so that we could see the schedule of his medications mm-hmm. throughout the day. We could see that, you know, you're giving it at 6 a.m. Why are you giving him levodopa at 6 a.m. and then four hours later giving it again? And then, like you said, Brian, two o'clock, and then we're not getting it until the next day. That's not how that works. And so it was a lot of kind nudges, and then it became like, you're not <laughs> doing this right. And, you know, kind of snippy conversations where, and you, and I would say too, you know, the nurses, because she's the one that puts the order in, he or she, the doctor, we asked her to delay it um, because they pay attention to her time. Mm-hmm. You can kind of like form a relationship and finagle it a little bit like, okay, we'll wait an hour, um, we'll wait too, but just making sure, you know, you do your best to argue that fact that this timing is really important. Now, I kind of argued, why are we even doing it right now if we're not yeah. eating a drink and we're on a breathing tube and, you know, I, I just didn't, but those are things to ask a neurologist. Those mm-hmm. are things I couldn't answer on my own, um, even though I wanted to. So this was by far the most stressful of all of his surgeries that you guys have dealt with. Yes. Um, the, in the hallucination part too, just make sure you advocate. They did listen to that. Um, and even the doctor did speak to the neurologist at the hospital mm-hmm. to like verify that this is the medication, you know, that it was medication induced. The hallucination. Oh, okay. They saying it was old age and being in there a long period of time. Now, again, I am not a doctor, but I truly believe that we weren't metabolizing levodopa mm-hmm. and there was just too much yeah again i have no scientific yeah i can't prove that (laughs) and the other thing too is like anytime you bring somebody with parkinson's outside of their routine and doing like something different it it just we the amount of confusion anxiety and stress like all of that stuff exacerbates exacerbates exaggerates (laughs) exacerbates whatever our symptoms um so that could have been part of it too yeah i did have two different Strains of pneumonia. Yes, also aspirating. In the, in the recovery. Is, so, is um, that a hard, as hard as you can get? I'm like the worst strain. So I, like, this is the worst strain. But, I was like, of course it is. I had a similar experience when I went to, um, not recovery, but rehab, and it became a regular discussion about when they would deliver the meds and when they would deliver the food. They've got a schedule, and you try and talk to them, and some of them, most of them. I eventually developed a relationship with each of them as the time went on, because they're not supposed to leave medicine for you to take. But there's questions, you know, that uh, I I can't take it now because I've got to wait an hour. 
and then I'd they'd bring the medicine. I'd take the medicine, then it'd be time to go do uh, PT. And then when I come back, the nurse would be there and say, "We haven't eaten yet. You want to take it away?" And I went, "No, I've been waiting for an hour or so to eat that." She was want to eat cold food. And I went, "No, not necessarily." But that's so yeah, that's what do. yeah. So yeah, I just found it. I just found it easier to sneak my own medicine in. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. We thought we were we that. thought about it right. Yeah. Many times. No, that's right. I I, I literally did that because they, by the time the nurse puts the order in, the pharmacy gets it up there. It's 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 too late. Yeah, it's frustrating. That part's frustrating. Not that yeah, I'm advocating I, that. I really would have done as Lindsay said, if I had to do over again. I went to see Doctor Hankel, probably two, three weeks, maybe four weeks before the surgery, and. He tried to make contact with the surgeon unsuccessfully, um, and they were from two different hospitals. One was OSU, one was Ohio Health. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I don't know that they can't work together, but I would make sure that um, they are in contact with each other. Mm -hmm. As you can tell you how many notes they had mm -hmm. from Dr. Hinkle, but uh, That's, yeah, just to, that input is to what aspects of the, of the uh, Parkinson's are affected by yeah. surgery. Well, this is definitely very helpful information. And I know we will post probably again that list that I know Dr. Hinkle sent to you that we added to our patient kits. Um, but and I just, you know, both Jean and Lindsay, Brian and I just want to say thank you guys so much for sharing this story, I know that there's probably even more that you can go into. Um, we might get questions and comments, so we might either bring you back on again, um, or just be able to answer some of the people, some of people's questions, because it's 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 very likely that there's a lot of people with Parkinson's going to the hospital. So knowing what to ask for, knowing how to advocate for yourself is huge. So thank you guys again for sharing your story. We so appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, so in our last 30 seconds, I will leave you all with this. Make sure that anytime you're always consulting with your neurologist or your primary care physician or both, and always be prepared to advocate for yourself if you are going into a hospital for a planned surgery or unexpected and make sure that all of your caregivers um, are prepared with what they need, either with things like my chart or the notes or different drugs that you can or cannot take. And again, just make sure that you're always connecting with your neurologist before any time that you have a hospital stay. So with that, we will see you guys all next time. Thanks for tuning in. The Secret Life of Parkinson's is produced by Melissa Carlson and Steve Brandenburg. To contact us, email info at thesecretlifeofpd.org. The Secret Life of Parkinson's is not responsible or liable for any medical advice, diagnosis, course of treatment, or any other information obtained through this podcast. The information provided by The Secret Life of Parkinson's is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast you are encouraged to consult a physician for a definitive diagnosis.